Hey everybody, I want to introduce you guys to a special, special guest today. It is Richard Gitsit, and you guys can also follow him on all his social media. It would say Richard Gitsit because he does, Gitsit. He is a farmer and an ag consultant. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, how are you? I'm doing great. I am so happy you're here. It took us a long time to get here. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, I know we were going back and forth, especially, and, and I like that you reached out to me even, I think even a little, uh, prior to the beginning of the year, and I know I was getting a lot of stuff ready, and and the thing about that is, like, I, I do a lot of, um, I do, I've got, uh, usually I answer messages that come through Facebook, because I don't have Messenger, like, on my phone, but I'll answer them for, through my computer, but at the beginning of the year, I was a lot of up and down the road, and so I'd have my phone with me and not my computer, but I'm glad we were able to finally uh, make this happen. Me face-to-face, -face. and, um, right. you know, it's on Zoom, because if it wasn't for the pandemic, I'd probably be driving to wherever you had. You enjoyed it, right? Yeah, I'm, um, I um, work with various farms uh, through a couple of entities, uh, and, you know, different counties in Georgia, you know, we're in Greene County, Washington yeah. County, Burke County, down in Montgomery County, some in Richmond County. So, um, Emanuel County, uh, we got a big project down there is where, uh, we're doing a lot of land clearing. So I'm, you know, I'm pretty much on the road all the time. Mm. So about, uh, crop planting, is there some things you can share for us, um, some tips as far as crop planting? Yeah, um, I, I would also, you know, I always start with the soil. Um, you know, right now, the, you know, we've, I've, I've read this uh, article probably a couple of days ago, and it was talking about how we lost, we've lost a lot of our topsoil. Mm. And yes, you can see uh, an open field with a tractor and like corn, soybeans, and and cotton and things like that growing out in the fields. Mm -hmm. But we have to realize that a lot of the soil uh, has been degraded as far as like, uh, because the a lot of the organic material has, has washed away, a lot of the microbes like the beneficial bacteria and fungi and the nematodes and the worms, all of those things, those, those populations of those beneficial organisms have drastically been reduced. Um, so just because you see uh, some dirt doesn't mean that it's actual soil. I always try to start with the soil, not just necessarily um, looking at the micronutrient. I mean, the micronutrients and the 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 chemistry of the soil. You know, a lot of times we look at soil and we're checking for the pH of the soil, which is important, and we're checking for um, you know the amount of minerals like nitrogen, phosphorus, and you know potash that's in the soil. And then we, you know, traditional farming, we buy chemicals to try to replace those things. Uh, I come from the aspect of if you take care of the health of the soil, mm -hmm. then really all of those things will balance out. Mm 
uh, as far as what your crops are going to need, because you have forests and grasslands and all of these different areas where vegetation, the native vegetation is flourishing, but we're not using any of those chemicals on those areas. What they've done is they've come into this equilibrium of, you know, you have the, the trees that are pulling nitrant uh, nutrients from deep inside of the soil and they're using that to grow the body of the tree and the leaves and then what happens every fall with a lot of trees those leaves fall down onto the ground they provide cover uh they provide food for a lot of you know the, the earthworms and microbes um you have the cycle of birds and other animals mm-hmm. eating the fruits from the trees mm-hmm. and then you know we all know what happens to the process of eating and digestion mm-hmm. all of that material goes back on the ground that adds um uh, it not only just spreads seeds but it also adds nutrients for those microorganisms that break down the wastes of other organisms so if you can if the if if nature is doing that which has mm-hmm. done that for mm-hmm. billions of years through this cycle of you know, consumption, waste, and then another organism within that ecosystem is able to take that and use that as an energy source. And then the, that organism, the waste from that process is being used as a nutrient source for another one. Mm-hmm. I think that we can mimic that um, that cycle that nature has already set the blueprint for, and mm-hmm. we can mimic that in, you know, our gardens or in our, in our pastures or in our, uh, in our crops. And so I always like to start with the soil. Um, I, you know, read a lot and Mm -hmm. watch a lot of YouTube and read studies and things like that about the the nature of the soil and the Mm -hmm. chemistry of the soil, what lives in the soil, what what does it need for plants to be successful? And then I always try to start there. Um, As far as step by step, with me, you know, obviously, yes, soil tests. Uh, you can get a soil mm-hmm. test done. You <clears throat> basically you're getting like maybe the top two to six inches of soil mm-hmm. and you're putting it in a little box. Um, you know, I've used like the little containers that you get from like a Chinese food place or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then take that to your local cooperative extension office. Almost every county, I've, I've, I've yet to encounter any county that does not have it. Mm-hmm. Usually those are partnerships between the university in your state mm-hmm. and the USDA. Um, does the it cost? Extension. Is it expensive to do that? To get those uh, Yeah, tests? well, it's, it, there is a cost for it. Um, the, you know, it depends on the county. Mm-hmm. I've taken samples, let's just say in Fulton County, Georgia, and got those samples at a I think they're like $12 a sample. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just say like in Richmond County, uh, which is the Augusta area. Those are like, I think I paid like $8 a piece for them. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it's important. Huh? That's not too bad. No, no. And it, you know, because the, the thing about it is like, if you, if you don't pay up front, you're going to, you're going to pay in the form of uh, a lost crop or even a diminished crop. If you don't have your soul, right. Um, also you can get, extended testing uh like if you're if you're getting or going into some new land and you don't know what was there before what type of chemicals were used or sometimes you know if, especially in the urban farming areas there may have been some type of industrial activity on that soil so in addition to the you know across the board uh test i get a test for heavy metals um so because some of those 
some of the plants may pull that into the body of the plant and even into their fruits. And then if you consume those, then you've ingested those, uh, those, um, those heavy mm -hmm. metals. Some of the things we don't want to deal with Something like lead. About. Right. Uh, so definitely if it's new land, you mm -hmm. definitely want to get that test. There's instructions on how to pull those samples, where to pull them from. Um, you know, sometimes like for a large field, I'll lay out a grid like on Google Maps and then put pinpoints in it and then actually walk those and identify those pinpoints and pull my samples there. And then you mix it together and then you create the individual samples. So uh, let's just say like on one acre, Mm -hmm. I would kind of zigzag through the acre and pull actual soil, mix that together, and that mm -hmm. would be my soil sample for that uh, particular um, plot of land. Right. And if you it's 10 acres, I would do that 10, 10 times, yeah. So, you know, when you when you fill out those forms, and you'll see it, it's very straightforward. Mm -hmm. You'll get a very detailed report back, especially if you ex uh, request some of those extended uh, testing, like for heavy metals, which will be a, an additional fee. Mm -hmm. uh, then you can kind of start there and make your planning on number one, do you need to do anything to the soil? Is there anything that you need to do to remediate like chemicals like glyphosate? Um, if you need to balance the pH in the soil and mm -hmm. if you do it, um, if you do it early enough, let's just say if you, if you do it, if you're planning to plant in the spring mm -hmm. and you do a lot of this stuff in the previous fall, then there are ways that you can, naturally restore that soil especially ph uh mm -hmm. ph is one of the um one of the things that you definitely have to to look at um most most the a lot of the plants that we consume or the crops you're gonna have you're gonna mm -hmm. want a, at least a ph of of six to 6.2 maybe even 6.5 mm -hmm. um sometimes those soils can get you know if you're growing like tomatoes strawberries blueberries those soils, those plants like a little bit more acidic soil. Okay. So the pH can be a little lower if you're doing that. Or mm -hmm. if you're doing like um, intercropping or mixed crop of different things, look at what the pH of your soil, um, the pH of the plants, of the soil that your plants require. Mm -hmm. And you might have it where one plot is a different pH from another plot, but you can adjust that pH based on, you know, your practices. And like I said, if you, if you kind of investigate it and look at different measures uh, on how to balance that. Now, like for large crop areas, let's just say if you're putting in, um, if you're doing cotton and things like that, mm -hmm. um, basically you can go to your, a lot of the, the common practices to go to your uh, local farm and ag store and get, mm -hmm. you know, lime brought in by you know however many tons you need mm -hmm. because on that on that uh soil report soil test it'll make recommendations okay. on what you need to do as far as like the volume of whatever soil amendment needs to go on the soil to get it to that you know ph i keep talking about ph but there's yeah, other important yeah there's other minerals and things that you can use to balance it um but you know one of the things that you can do, um, you know, just like if you got, you know, let's just say if you burn like wood in a fireplace. Okay. So, you know, you know, you know where the wood is coming from. So there's not going to be chemicals in it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're not burning anything like treated lumber or anything like that. Just yeah. regular logs and mm -hmm. things like that. You can actually take that ash uh, from that burn and balance the soil, the pH. Oh, wow. uh, ash. 
So Ash is going to have probably about a pH of about, um, I think it's about 12. Uh, And and so you can make calculations based on that. Obviously, you don't want your soil to be 12, but you can you can make calculations on that. The the pH content of the ash, you know, Mm -hmm. you can mix it with water or something like that will bring the pH down, apply that to the soil and help that soil on its way back to getting a balanced pH. Um, And that's a natural way of doing things as well. Yeah, it's a natural amendment and it's economical. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you, like I said, a lot of times what I try to tell, encourage farmers to do, if you don't have a lot of money to spend, then spend time. Meaning Mm -hmm. that uh, if you don't have, you know, the money to buy a load of lime Mm -hmm. and work it into the soil a week before you're getting ready to plant, start in the previous season and then you can do some things that um that help get that soil balanced that that take time um another example would be like cover cropping Uh, instead of leaving that 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 ground just bare all winter where you're going to risk um exposure to your micros by uv uh exposure or even worse uh uh erosion Mm-hmm. To where, you know, you're going to have a lot of precipitation during the winter months. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a lot of growth from the plants to be able to put down root systems to hold that soil in place. Mm-hmm. But if you have, if you put a cover crop in, something like maybe ryegrass or uh, vetch or, you know, winter clovers or or even wheat, yes. then those plants are going to be able to grow during those cooler months mm-hmm. and put in a root system that holds that soil into place. And another added benefit of that is if you're dealing with like clover, which is legume, which mm-hmm. is a plant that forms a um, a symbiotic relationship with nitrogen fixing bacteria at the root level, mm-hmm. they're putting nitrogen into the soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to that, because of, you know, what are roots? Roots are uh, organic material. So they're putting more organic matter into the soil as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there's different methods that you can use when you come back in the spring or whenever you start your planting, you can either what they call no-till, which means plant right into that cover crop. Uh, you can kind of mow it down to kind of slow it down, or you can come in there and do a light tilling or what's, what would be known as like yeah. a green, green manure. Basically you're cutting up, cutting down the cover crop and allowing it to decompose back into the, uh, into the soil returning those nutrients that it had pulled out during its growth cycle. Oh, wow. That's so, great information. Yeah. yeah, just different things like that. Um, I, uh, I'm also a big proponent of, of composting. Um, and so you would be surprised how much actual food that you actually throw out uh, that we put in an actual a plastic garbage can mm-hmm. and then put it in, you know, someone comes and picks it up and it goes to a landfill. Um, if you have the space, I know a lot of people don't have a, a lot of space to do it. If you have mm-hmm. the space to actually compost it, you mm-hmm. might want to like look into composting and composting it in some type of container. Mm-hmm. You can get compost bins pretty much anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a really low tech method of composting. Um, I just, you know, I'll put a hole or dig a hole or something like that in the backyard yeah. and then cover it up with leaves. Um, yeah. That's one of the things about my backyard. I never rake up the leaves and haul them off. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll compost them in the backyard, mm-hmm. you know, go down and rake them, but I'll mix them in with food scraps and things like that. Um, 
Uh, one of the things you have to watch out for that, though, is bury it deep enough, especially if you have like a, any uh, pets, because mm-hmm. uh, they may go and dig up the food yeah. and things like that. But there's so many ways to compost it to turn what is our waste, our food, leftover scraps into a beneficial soil amendment. Uh, but it's all about time. Uh, it's very, very low tech. Um, yeah. I do uh, vermicomposting as well, which means using earthworms. Um, there's mm-hmm. another methods of, of composting that I use that uses uh, the larva of the black soldier fly uh, because mm-hmm. you've got two different, two different organisms that can consume two different types of mm-hmm. material. Mm-hmm. Um, just give you an example. So earthworms, they're really not going to break down or, or uh, uh, like meat, like if you yeah. got like scraps and meat, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, but uh, black soldier fly larvae, they will. They're mm. basically called like the, the, they're nicknamed the piranha of the compost pile. Oh, and wow. yes, they're, they're ugly little, fat little grubby worm, maggot looking worms. Uh, I mean, maggot, uh, wor- uh, little maggots, grubby maggots. Mm. But uh, they really do work well. Uh, I like Thank them because, th- yeah, they eat a lot of the things that, um, that the earthworms don't eat or can't mm. eat. And, you know, there's a debate on whether the earthworms are going to break down like citrus peels and things like that mm. or onions. But do they, do those These, worms coexist? Okay. Um, or is this it, something well, separate? You, you have to separate it? Well, you, I do, but they can coexist. And this is why it's, it's a, it's a balance between the two. The black soldier flies, they consume two and a half times their weight mm. in as far as eating per day. Mm-hmm. That means they have a very high metabolism and they make that compost heat hot. Like you mm-hmm. can literally see the heat coming off of yeah. it. Um, the, the benefit of that is you're not going to have a lot of pathogenic like bacteria and things growing in it because they're consuming this, this food scrap and this waste mm-hmm. faster than you can get a bacterial infestation of it. Mm. in that pile okay so if you're thinking about things like e coli or a lot of the um non-beneficial anaerobic bacteria that can Mm -hmm. cause like you know infection and you know pute those things they call the the, uh, putrid um um or bad smell Mm -hmm. they will eat it before that those um those bacteria and those microbes can even get established so Mm -hmm. you're not going to have a bad smell Um, also these, uh, black soldier flies, they emit a pheromone that attracts other black soldier flies to deposit eggs there on the compost pile, Mm -hmm. but also that pheromone that they, um, that they create wards off the common house fly. Okay. Okay. Because the common house fly will not lay uh in that pile because it knows that its larva will not be able to compete with the black housefly larva i mean the black soldier fly larva Mm -hmm. um another benefit is that the black soldier fly larva spends most of its life cycle in the larval stage and it it's only an adult for like three or four days oh wow and when it yeah when it's an adult it doesn't eat it only drinks and mates okay Mm -hmm. and then it'll die It'll drink, mm-hmm. mate, lay eggs back in the pile, you know, the females, right. yes, and then right. it'll die off. So because it doesn't eat, mm-hmm. it's not going to 
you know, eat off of a piece of, you know, excrement and then mm-hmm. land on your food like a housefly would. So right. it's not a disease vector. It's not right. going to, it's not going to yeah. carry disease. Um, so very, very beneficial. Um, it, I, I was just amazed at what they, what they can eat as far as like I've put in, um, you know, you put in meat scraps, mm-hmm. dairy, uh, bread, those things that the earth crumbs do not yeah. like mm-hmm. citrus onions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've even, you know, gone through the yard and kind of picked up the yard after the dog and put that mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. Uh, and it just really, really breaks that stuff down. Um, now on the flip side is when you're asking about, can they coexist because they keep that, that, that pile hot mm-hmm. earthworms don't like the heat. Right. Okay. So if you can keep them, but you got to have some type of, not necessarily a, a, a penetrable barrier, but have a mm-hmm. barrier to where the earthworms can kind of move over and do their mm-hmm. own thing. Right. Uh, what I did when I, when I really got into this, what I did, because, okay, going back to what the black soldier flies can consume, mm-hmm. they can consume just about everything except for the fiber. So I can put a banana in there and they'll clean that banana out, but the banana peel is left. Oh, wow. That's interesting. But they will, who can eat the, who can eat that fiber? The earthworms can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, if you, if you, what I've done is like, I've had the food scraps mm-hmm. and then have an environment for the, um, the black soldier flies in the middle so they can move in and out of that pile and then come behind with some dirt. And that's where the earthworms can live because mm-hmm. once the black soldier flies move out, they've basically eaten everything down to the fiber mm-hmm. or just totally consumed it. And then they've left their waste. Then the earthworms can come in there and consume that. Right. So it's like a little cycle of, 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 um, of, um, of recycling basically. Yeah. And then, but on the other hand, too, the different temperature variances. Mm-hmm. When you get below fifty degrees outside, the black soldier flies basically go dormant, okay. so they're not going to be active. the the um, The earthworms will still be active. Okay, yeah. so you can do it. I yeah, have a it's, question, it's a good though, about the um, getting the the soil tested. If you were not going yes. to plant a, a crop, but you just wanted to have farm animals, you know, is it important to test the soil? Uh, yes, it is. Because if you're going to have farm animals, let's just say goats, chickens, cattle, mm-hmm. you're going to want them to have something to eat. Okay. So, you know, you know, there's this, this movement now that livestock farmers are essentially grass farmers. And it goes back to if you got good grass, you're gonna have good animals. Mm-hmm. But in order to have good grass, you gotta have good soil. Good soil. So yes, you yes, and and then and it's, you got to determine on what you're actually gonna be growing, you know, and at what time. So right now, like you may have some cool season grasses in there, like rye, wheat, clover. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas that's gonna go dormant um, or even just die off when it gets warmer. So you, you're going to want to have to have something like maybe um, um, Bermuda grass okay. because during the summer months, that Bermuda grass is going to be probably your main source of forage and then be able to manage it. But 
the good thing about that is if you have the grass there and you manage it, meaning that you don't, you're able to move your animals around where none of, they're not eating, eating the grass all the mm -hmm. way down to nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, then you can, you can manage that. And then the soil will, um, basically it'll balance itself because now you've got another component in, in addition to the microbes and all the animals that are in the soil, you got a grazing animal that's doing what? Taking that, that vegetation, eating mm -hmm. it, digesting it, especially mm -hmm. a ruminant like cows and goats and sheep. Yeah. Basically they have, their stomachs are like, um, um, fermentation vats. Basically, there's a lot of microbial activity inside the intestines mm -hmm. and the digestive tracts of these animals, and they're going to deposit that back onto the ground, mm -hmm. which is going to give you beneficial microbes getting in the soil. So they're just another part of that cycle, which right. they're, where they're taking and breaking down these fibrous plant, plant plants, extracting the nutrients mm -hmm. they need, adding the, uh, the microbes that they have in, the, in their bodies and then putting that back on the ground. Okay, that's great information. So, but I, but I, yeah, I would say you, you wanna do a soil test even if you're gonna graze animals. Um, okay. Now, uh, if, you've got, if you've got soil that's gonna need help then, uh, a, a, and you have a good way to do it, mm -hmm. let's just say if you have access to quality hay and okay. forage, mm -hmm. and, and you are going to, this will be like the primary um, food source for your, your uh, grazing animals. Mm -hmm. And they're on, on um, poor soil. Okay. Well, essentially what you've done, if you've got hay, you've brought in a food source or another car carbon or fiber source from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And then you're feeding it to your animals there on your place. Mm -hmm. And then they're eating it and depositing it there. Right. So you're almost kind of bringing in soil amendments that are going to be consumed and passed through the systems of these animals and deposited on your ground. Um, that process may take, you know, years or whatever, uh, if you just want to rely on that. Yeah. Um, or, or it can just be just like a different, uh, and a, a, um, and not an alternative, but like an amendment to your practices, whether you're, you know, in, in conjunction with doing cover crops, mm -hmm. things that you may spray and inoculate the soil with, things like that. Okay. Thank you so much for that information. I, I have a question. It's completely off topic, though. Okay. What was it like to meet John Lewis? Oh, um, so let me go back. This takes me back to... Um, what initially it brought me to Atlanta. I'm originally from Arkansas, mm -hmm. uh, moved to Atlanta about 15 years ago. And I was the, the IT director of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Okay. And, and it was funny. It's like when I was there, I was just like, hey, I'm just a computer guy. But you had a lot of these people, what we called the foot soldiers in. Mm -hmm. And they were like, no, you're not going to get off that easy. You, you're going to be in the movement. So because I, I basically said... I'm just going to come and stay in my cubicle, make, to, make sure that the computer network is running, make sure that the website is up, and if anybody needs any tech, technical support. But I was fortunate to meet a lot of people that had, that when they were my age or younger, mm -hmm. they actually worked with Dr. King. And so they still had that spirit. Uh, 
and they still passed it on. So they were like, no, you got to get out here. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, be part of the planning and, you know, mm -hmm. participate in the planning and the logistics for the, um, the march in Selma. See, a lot of people... See, that's an, actually an SCLC event. I didn't, I didn't realize it. Uh, and then there's like when in Selma, they have this whole thing called Jubilee. So it's a, it's not just the march across the bridge. There's a, mm -hmm. there's a whole lot of different activities and celebrations mm -hmm. and yeah. memorials going on mm -hmm. during that week, during that weekend, and then mm -hmm. those, you know, building up to it, and that like basically, the whole all of Dallas County, Alabama is like, mm -hmm. is full of people. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, just being able, so I was able to meet him there. And then later on, uh, I uh, worked with the Georgia State Legislature. Mm -hmm. And um, so in Georgia, no matter what, you know, when there's certain offices, when you run for them, you have yeah. to go to the state capitol to qualify, basically to register to run again. Okay. And that's uh, when I actually got to meet him face to face and take that picture with him. He was at it was qualifying day. And so okay. I took a picture with him there. Uh, but other civil rights leaders, I actually got to work very, very uh, close with. And um, like C.T. Vivian, who actually passed on the same day yeah. as John Lewis. C.T. Yeah. Vivian, when I was at Southern Christian Leadership Conference, C.T. Mm -hmm. Vivian was on the board of directors. Uh, mm -hmm. And as you know, he was one of the lieutenants for Dr. King. Yeah. And I mean, all the way up until he passed away. And then, um, you know, I worked very close with like his, he's got a real good uh, guy that worked with him, like on a daily basis, Don Rivers. Mm -hmm. uh, me and Don really had a good relationship. But sometimes like for the board meetings, I would have to drive from downtown Mm -hmm. over to um if you know atlanta like over in the cascade I li area I, I live in atlanta okay so dr vivian um lived in on the cascade area okay so i would go pick him up and then bring him back to the board meeting and it would be like i mean this was like when he was in his like 80s and 90s but still sharp as a tack like wow. and good sound of good sound body and mind mm -hmm. and he would just talk and i would just sit there and take it just all in but it in yeah yeah, and it was it was just so good to hear that. I mean, because he was so there was a board, another board member, um, uh, Reverend Bolden, mm -hmm. um, and Reverend Bolden I think is in that picture with Dr. King at the pool table. Okay. Um, I think if if he's not in that picture, that's when the Reverend Bolden actually met Dr. King. Mm. But back in the day, Reverend Bolden, and this is what Dr. Vivian was telling me, that Reverend Bolden was a real strong like like almost like muscled up person yeah and they were in and i and i hate i hope i get this right i think they were in either saint augustine or jacksonville and they were integrating a um swimming pool oh they were integrating a swimming pool and uh <laughs> dr vivian he was saying that he himself did not know how to swim but he got in that water right. and then when they were attacked there was somebody trying to hold him down in the water. And he was talking about how he appreciated how strong that Reverend Bowden was, that he was yeah. able, Reverend Bowden grabbed his attacker yes. and him, Dr. Vivian, and pulled them both out of the water. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was just like things like that that were, like I said, I, you know, obviously because of 
uh, my age, I did not mark to Dr. King or anything like that. But yeah. all of those people that a lot of those people that did mm-hmm. that were there were there still at the SCLC when I when I got there. Miss um, oh, um, Orange, Reverend Orange's wife, um, mm-hmm. uh, she was there. Um, I mean, just a lot of lot of folks that yeah. you know what what they what within that community that right. the foot were were uh, that I got to meet got me to um, the legislature and then uh, able to work uh, with some legislatures. One of which, uh, Reverend, I mean, not, well, he is a Reverend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's a state rep, Carl Gilliard, out of 162 down in Savannah, who's one of the authors of the uh, hemp bill. And so I worked with him on doing research and things like that um, for, on that bill. And then, you know, it subsequently passed. And then during that time, I would just call people back home in Arkansas and say, look, hemp is legal federally. A lot of these states are actually uh, making it legal. I, you know, I know we have family land back home and then that ended up me calling people in Georgia and just getting the conversation going to kind of educating people on how to the license, the license requirements, mm-hmm. what it would be. So a lot of people would have this opportunity to, to grow this crop. Um, and some people did, you know, we grew, um, you know, grew in Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, work with farmers in Kentucky and Tennessee, um, and then now we're getting ready for the 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 2021 season uh, in those states as well as Georgia. Right. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much um, because I want to have another conversation. I want to talk about yep. the um, hemp growing, but I know yes. you're a busy guy. I don't want to consume all your time today, but hopefully we okay. can have another conversation about hemp growing. And um, yeah, definitely. We can get some knowledge. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, there's, there's so many things about this plant and that that people should know. Uh, I know with the history, people have really associated with marijuana, but uh, there's a lot of other things in the history of the plant and a lot of potential in the future of the plant as well. Okay. Thank you, Richard. Thank all right. You you're so welcome. Thanks for, for having me. For um, teaching us all about the crop planting and the soil. Because there's no crop without good soil, right? So yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start with the soil, um, and I mean because that's that's going to be the life where the plant spends its life, you know, until yeah. you get ready to harvest and use it. So yeah. Well, until next time, thank you so much. All right, thank you. <laughs>